Hi there, friends. On this episode, Tim Keller recently said something nice about Stephen Colbert, the late night host, and then people got upset about it. So I want to talk about that. There's a freedom convoy of truckers in Canada I want to talk about. And then you'll also get a correction from me, that and more on this week's Corey Truax Show. Here it comes. As is my nature, I think I have a third way take on this trucker convoy in Canada, but I want to start with a recent somewhat controversial statement from Pastor Timothy Keller. We'll start there on this week's Corey Truax Show. Convoy, a correction from last week, more audio of Bill Maher being just a normal liberal, that and a lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us on WHRT, his radio talk, and wherever you find podcasts. My name is Corey Truax, amongst many other things. I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, and you are invited any given Sunday morning. Would love to see you there. I suspect we're about to get back into our uh, Revelation series here in a few weeks. Going to talk about eldership, that office, and who qualifies for it, its importance in the church the next couple weeks, and it's always exciting stuff, so we'd love to see you there. I have been influenced theologically in my life by lots of people. I would say my, I've often said to folks that R.C. Sproul is probably most most important for shaping my actual theology, things about uh, understanding about covenants and the, the nature of the scriptures and salvation. I learned a lot from him in his sermons. I will admit this, though. I, I sometimes struggle. If I'm not, re- if I'm not really attuned and ready for R.C. Sproul, I can, my mind can wander. I don't find him as compelling uh, as a presenter. His content is incredible because it's true, and he's just a lot smarter than I am. But sometimes like my mind could wander. When it comes to presentation of information, I think I have been most shaped by Tim Keller and Matt Chandler. Those are two very different presentations, but those are the two that have shaped me the most. I don't ever want to copycat either one of them, but I can tell. Sometimes I even have to be careful of it not to mimic how one of those two would have done it. And of course, I say you know, these three names, they're all in this last century, but all three of those guys would say they were shaped by the church fathers and all through antiquity, and were all shaped by the scriptures. So I, I love Tim Keller. In his older years, he's had a couple moments where I went, oh, I, th- I think your New York City bubble, which I love, again, I love New York City, but your New York City bubble might be affecting how you're talking about this given thing. There's there's bubbles everywhere and they're all bad, right? So there's there's a tendency for metropolis dwellers, city dwellers, to think of rural folks as backward and un, uh, unexposed to alternative viewpoints. But I have to be careful to say to my metropolis dwellers, that's true of you too in a lot of ways. You, you are more surrounded by different ethnicities, different cultures, but there is a set of values, beliefs, and positions largely held by the city dweller, and you actually don't interact with rural people or suburban people enough to know the other perspective. And so any kind of bubble is a bad thing. We want to uh, experience and engage with all different kinds of experiences and information, 
so that we we don't have any blind spots. We all need each other. We all we are all going to need each other to fully embrace all the various truths that are that are out there. Now, I say that of Tim Keller to say in his older age, I, th- I think he's missed some things. And he said something here recently that got him into some hot water. I want to give you the facts, and then I would love to get your opinion at CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, the name is Corey Truax. Recently, Stephen Colbert, the late-night host uh, on, I think, CBS, he had on some singer, I don't know, I can't even pronounce her name, I think it's Dua Lipa, I don't really care, but he apparently does a thing on his show sometimes where he allows the guest to ask him a question. Stephen Colbert, originally from Charleston, South Carolina, by the way, before he had his show on Comedy Central, The Colbert Report, and then took over the, I guess that's The Late Show with David Letterman. He gets asked by this singer about his faith and how his comedy interacts with his faith. Tim Keller saw Stephen Colbert say the following as, an, as a response to that question. I think ultimately, us all being mortal, the faith will win out at the end. <laughs> but I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. But I will say this, I will say this. Uh, someone was asking me earlier about what I... And this, is, this relates to faith, because my faith is involved with... I'm, I'm a Christian and a Catholic, and that's re- re- always connected to the idea of um, love and sacrifice being somehow related and giving yourself to other people, and that death is not defeat, if you, if you can see where I'm getting at there. Someone was asking me earlier, what movie did I really enjoy this year? And I said, well, I really like Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's story of his childhood. And one of the reasons I love it is that I'm Irish and uh, Irish-American, and it's such an Irish movie, um, and I think this is also a Catholic thing because it's, it's funny and it's sad, and it's funny about being sad. In the same way, that sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. As Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. Okay. So actually is a lot of profundity in there. I could there's a lot in there, not all, a lot in there that I could say good things about. The, the core of the gospel is not you're going to be okay, but there is profound comfort in recognizing that our core story does commingle love and sacrifice, the love of God for his people causing him to sacrifice for his people and then defeating death so that we know no matter the sadness, there is ultimate joy. And he said it much more articulately than I just did. Had an incredible quote there. Uh, so let's just continue. I was going to make a snide comment. So Keller hears Colbert say this on a show. Keller then goes out on his social media, Facebook, Twitter, and says, uh, this was a skillful example, skillful example of how to be a Christian in the public square. This is a form of witness that the culture can handle. We should desire to have more Christians in these spaces and give them grace as they operate. 
So that's his commendation. The way Colbert just handled a question about his faith, it was winsome, it was kind, it was somewhat light, and this is the way to be a Christian in that space, in Manhattan, in New York City, in on a culture largely in media that is going to be antagonistic towards the faith. This is the way to present it. He also would he did mention this, which I appreciate. He said, please don't make this error. If you cite person X, you must answer for everything person X ever did or say. So he knew he was going to get some hate because a couple of reasons. I mean, people started to criticize as, as Keller commended Colbert for this for a couple of reasons. One, Colbert is Catholic, or his name is Colbert, Stephen Colbert. And so we believe in a fundamentally different gospel. When Col- Colbert said there, I'm a Christian and I'm Catholic, that's where there is a stop. Whoa. We actually don't think that. If you think you are earning your, your salvation in some way, if you defer to humanity, Pope, and priest over the scriptures themselves, you, you guys know the, I hope you do, I hope you know the Reformation. We hold to the five solas that the Catholics don't. That everything is to the glory of God alone. It's the scriptures alone, not the church. We, get sal- we receive salvation by faith, excuse me, by grace, God's grace gives us faith, so through faith, in Christ alone, not in, not, not in the church. The church doesn't bestow salvation. So these are big distinctions. And so here's Keller commending a Catholic, saying he's a Catholic and a Christian when there's really, really big fundamental differences in the theology. And there's also the important point that Stephen Colbert is a wild leftist, like way out in left field, spends most of his nights on the show mocking and making fun of the good things in the world and upholding a lot of the bad things in the world. Now, I I have space. This is, I have space for this. To disembody, this is such an important sentence, to disembody words from the speaker. I find Americans in particular are bad at that. So a, a, a person you dislike or disagree with might actually say something true or something that has value, but because it's attached to, it's embodied by the person you disagree with or dislike, you can't hear it. You, you can't process it. S- someone, a professor at North Greenville actually recently had a conversation with, with him. He was blown away by somebody who w- heard David Brooks, a, a former conservative, say something right. David Brooks said a true thing. But because David Brooks writes for the New York Times and uh, I, you know, he's associated with a liberal publication, they just wouldn't hear it. Because that thing he's saying, even though it might be true, it's embodied by him and he's on the, on the wrong team and so I can't even hear the thing he's saying. So I don't want to do that here to Colbert. The words denotatively, in large part, taken out of his mouth, out of the context, they were spoken by a Catholic that... They were spoken by someone who I would struggle to say is actually in the faith, both because of his Catholicism and to all of the anti-biblical views that he holds. But the way in which he responded to a question about his faith in the public square, I actually think it, it was effective. There's, we, we need everybody, right? We, we need every strategy, and some folks in, in the faith are, are very much prophetic, and they want to scream and yell. They, that is their method. I'm not, I'm not saying they're always wrong. Sometimes we need, we need aggression. That's true. But it's not the only way. 
And Keller would be the one to pick that up. It says, yes, it, it, you got to pick up the room. Read the room. It's one of the skills we got to learn as we grow older. That if you'll read the room, you'll be a more effective communicator. Younger men, I find, they younger pastors, preachers, they tend to have one dial. They know the one way to speak, the one way to preach. They don't have any other gear to shift to, and they just go at it. And yeah, that's going to be effective for some people, but not everybody. And I, I can hear someone even saying right now, well, if that one gear is speaking the truth, then it, it, it should be enough. It doesn't matter what gear they're talking in. But it does, though. You could be saying a very true thing to your wife, sir, and if you say it in the wrong gear, if you're revved up too much, you're not going to get a good response. The same true thing can be said differently. Someone else, in, they respond to it differently. And so, Keller says this thing about Colbert, Colbert, this positive thing. People criticize it because, well, Colbert is Catholic and he is a, a secular type. He holds to secular leftism. And if Keller would have just done that, if he would have said, hey, take away that this is a, a Catholic and take away that he's... He holds these other things. If you just listen to how winsomely and kindly he spoke, there's an entire context in America that if, you, if they hear the gospel that way, it'll be really effective. Not effective for everybody, but effective. Final part of the story is this. Keller then responds with something he wrote a book about called contextualization, that we don't change the gospel for anybody, but we change, sorry, we don't change the gospel for anybody, but we give it different context that everyone contextualizes. When I teach children's church on Wednesday nights at Beachwood Church, I'm going to explain things differently than I would on Sunday morning. If I want to give an illustration about the doctrine of justification or adoption or sanctification, I'm going to do it differently to adults than I would kids. I'm going to contextualize that truth. We can see that modeled in, in Paul, uh, well, in the, in the book of Acts where Paul will go to a blue-collar area, and then he'll go to a higher-educated area, like the era, wait, era, that place he went to where he gave the really big high-intellect sermon. Can't remember how to say that word. And he'll use different words. He'll use different strategies. John himself, in the Bible, using an ancient Greek concept of the logos. The logos became flesh and dwelt among us. That's contextualizing to some non-Jewish readers so they have a, a common shared language. We have, arguably, I know Keller argues this in that book, the incarnation itself is contextual. God putting on flesh to dwell among us came into our context so that we might be able to understand him. My point here being, yeah, I wish Keller would have been more clear about who this person was. Colbert's a problem, he is. At the same time, I think we can take the wisdom he was trying to give. I think he failed. I think he did a bad job of giving the wisdom. But here's some wisdom. Not every unbeliever you talk to in your family, at your work, that you, or anywhere you interact, not every room you walk into is going to take the truth of the gospel the same way. And we would do well to develop lots of different skills, to speak to people in lots of different ways. That I, I know it sounds like I'm just really harping on the the people who would be like, this is right, this is wrong, and hell the fire and brimstone. I'm not harping on them because we need them. Hear me say that. We all need each other. It's kind of the one of the backbones of the church. 
Can the can the eye say to the ear, "We I have no need of you"? No. And can the person who speaks kindly and winsomely and might try to win people with the beauty of the gospel and not just the judgment of the, the judgment that's coming? They, neither one can say to the other, "I have no need of you." We're all going to need each other. You know that act that just sparked a, fl- a flame. I want to talk about. So when we come back, I am going to talk about how. The beauty of ideas is often what attracts people, not the correctness of ideas. I don't like that that's true, but it is true. We'll do that, and then I have my third way to see this trucker story up in Canada. We'll do that and a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I may not like it, but it is often the beauty of an idea that compels the human mind and not its correctness, and I want to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can, and I hope you will, find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. It's easy to do and easy to find because my name is weird. I also encourage the, the, the broadcasting here on WHRT in the mornings is fun, the the morning show, Worldview with Tony and Austin. I listen to the podcast uh, daily. I just I just want to have a that that virtuous loop. Yes, I get to be with you on Saturday mornings. They actually had a caller here recently that called in to like complain about me. It was awesome on their show. Uh, but they do good work. Let me encourage as well when you have podcasting time or on the way to work in the morning. Here we are on WHRT and would love to have you on the morning show as well. I spoke recently to a group of college students. In, at North Greenville University, I was invited to speak to Young, the Young Americans Foundation. It used to be called Young Americans for Freedom. So that's a much more political atmosphere than I'm used to being in. I like to stay in the theology world much more now. It's also occurring to me that I think I talked about this last week on the show. So if I did, I'm sorry. I'll keep this very close, very, very short. My big, theme, my big theme was it's the beauty of ideas that attract people. It's not our correctness. And we, on the American right, but also even in Christianity, and inside the faith, those who are more conservative theologically, we we tend to, I know my instinct is this, we are right, so get on board. This is the correct theology. These are the correct points, so get on board. But I have to recognize that's not how a lot of people's minds work. They're not attracted just by what's correct. They are attracted by what's beautiful. In the political setting, I was talking about it in terms of capitalism. When we talk about free market capitalism as just low taxes and low regulation, we can say it's the correct view for lots of different reasons. But when you illustrate the beauty of capitalism as having decreased the poverty, the poverty rate by something like something like seven times over since we since the country, excuse me since the planet began began to become more capitalist. When you think about capitalism starting here, not just as my own individual freedom, but I start with, I love humans. I love humanity. Humans are made in the image of God. And yes, I want them free, but I also want them prosperous. I want them to have a roof over their head. I want them to have food they need, clean water, medicine they need. And I want them to have the dignity of not having to have another person do it for them, the dignity of providing for themselves. I love humanity, and that's why I love capitalism. Isn't that more compelling? Then the more intellectual, the more intellectual argument. That's an emotional argument, but it is the more compelling one because the ideas bring beauty, and people love beauty. 
You've noticed that in life, right? It tends to be the beautiful people that just seem to have a lot of people around them all the time. We, as humans, we're compelled by beauty. We're often not compelled by what's correct. Some things can be correct and very cold. I have said of a whole group of people out west that some of you like, and they're right about a lot. I line with them theologically. But they are stern and cold. I would think I think of them as largely mean. I don't think we would be friendly because I don't know if they have the capability of friendliness. But that whole group out there theologically, while we're aligned, it just seems like their whole thing is we're right and we're furious about it. All right, well, I'm not compelled by you. I think you're right, but nothing about you is appealing to me. We'll, we'll do better theologically as well. If we talk about the beauty that is Christianity, it's truth. The fact that it's true is important. We don't give that up. But we also say this truth is so beautiful. Can you think of a better story? Like you think about the problem. It's a real problem. A, a completely just and holy God. He is holy, and he has to be just because he is holy. So he's going to have to punish us. There's not a way out of this. Unless. Let me riff on that for a second. He's going to have to punish us. There's no way out. Because if he lets us go, he's not just. If he lets us, the the liars and the thieves and the adulterers, if he lets us, the slanderers and the gossips, if he lets us go, the prideful, if he lets us go, he is not just. He's a bad God. He has not punished evil. Or he could do the other thing, punish us. That's another option, one that's terrifying. And what was the only way out? Oh, that, there's no love like this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And so instead of punishing us or not punishing us at all and being unjust, he, the only one capable of absorbing his own wrath and surviving, comes and does it for us. That's beautiful. What a beautiful story. And people are just more compelled by beauty than they are correctness. It's important that we're correct. Don't get me wrong. But uh, just something I said recently to a group of college students, and I thought it would be good for this group as well. Let's do this trucker story. Now, in conservative media, it's been a fairly large story. You probably know about me. I try not to consume a ton of obviously partisan media. Even people that I like and are talented. Uh, ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh. Uh, who else do I cycle through sometimes? Sometimes I cycle through Steve Dace for a minute. He's he's gotten way too intense for me. Uh, I, everyone else is escaping my mind, but I'll cycle. Oh, Al Mohler, of course. Um, the, the briefing, I'll cycle through from time to time. There's a lot of good commentary out there, but... I, I want to try to consume as many facts as I can and then just sift through them. So here's the facts as I understand them. Canada has been absolutely totalitarian, draconian, and I will add this, idiotic. Just so stupid with their COVID policies. They are inane and self-contradictory and moronic. The COVID policy out of Canada has made no sense whatsoever. One of those policies has been a vaccine mandate. In some large chunk of their transportation infrastructure, supply chain infrastructure, truckers are not intending to comply with the vaccine mandate. 
And that, as you might imagine, would really hurt a country. You you aren't getting goods to shelves because your truckers, which are a fundamental part of your economy, are and a large some large part of them aren't working. So there is a, a conflict. The government's trying to require everyone to get a vaccine. The truckers are saying no, they're not going to. But then they take it one step further. They gather together for a caravan to go to the capital of uh, of Canada, which I think is Ottawa. I could be wrong about that. Uh, they're going to the capital of uh, Canada. It's Ottawa. Yeah, I think I'm right. And it seems, as I saw some video today, oh, actually, I should mention this too. It seems to be a fairly large movement as well. I saw as this caravan was moving towards Ottawa, the overpass bridges on their interstates, almost every bridge is filled with supporters and uh, people holding up signs. Like It seems like there's a big chunk of Canada that is upset about everyone having to get vaccinated. Now, I've, I've seen that these truckers have arrived in Ottawa, and they have largely shut down the city in some ways, because imagine a bunch of giant big rigs without their, their payload on the back, but big rig trucks just taking up all the space in the streets and, and the sidewalks and parking garages. Just imagine thousands and thousands of trucks that should not, uh, let me take that back, that would typically not be there. Now they are there. It is very disruptive. Not only that, it means they're not working. Therefore, shelves are getting bare and people can't get products that they want. And it seems from one of the folks I saw, it it doesn't seem like this group has a leader, but one of the people interviewed said, yeah, we're just staying. This doesn't end. We're staying until the government changes. We're staying until the policy ends. We're just going to support each other. They're, we're going to have you know, food brought in. We're not leaving. We're occupying the Capitol. It's very similar to Occupy Wall Street and that, that park in, uh, in New York City where those squatters lived in squalor for a while. If you remember 2010 or 11, when a bunch of people took over the Wisconsin state Capitol and said they weren't leaving until they're guaranteed they got what they wanted regarding a teacher's union bill. So they're just, they're there, and they're not going to leave. I need to take a sidestep here, so stick with me. One of the other parts of the story that is important is people are, were donating to this group. And uh, as you might imagine, because they're not working, they're going to need to be able to support themselves in some ways. And so a fundraiser was put together on the internet through GoFundMe, GoFundMe tried to pull the plug on them. They, well, they did pull the plug on them. But it, it gives me this side note I wanted to make about how the American secular left operates lately. It has long been one of my, uh, one of my themes that the American secular left is largely censorious, that they censor you. They're largely totalitarian. They want to control you. And they're largely destructive. If you're in their way, they will destroy you, and they'll smile while they do it. What I'm finding when it comes to the left and big tech companies like GoFundMe, who raised the money, like Twitter, when it comes to platforming certain people or deplatforming people or, or Facebook, or for that matter, Amazon Web Services and the, the websites that they host, they don't seek to destroy big tech, but they are seeking to control it. 
They don't want to destroy these tools. They want the tools to be exclusively used for their advantage. And it's, of course, it's disgusting and immoral. It's also kind of terrifying that this is the strategy. And big companies, like we'll go Spotify with Joe Rogan, seem to acquiesce. They're getting close to acquiescence to pressure from the American totalitarian, progressive, secular left. And it's a new chapter in how leftism works, not just trying to destroy its enemies, but to co-opt and nudge or blackmail tools that are supposed to be they're supposed to be neutral. This is something that we need as Americans. We need neutral platforms. But that GoFundMe is just open for people to use. Spotify is just open for people to post their podcasts on. That Facebook and Twitter are just open for everyone to use. And the left comes along and says, or, or Amazon Web Services, to, to host your website. And the American political left comes along and says, hey, GoFundMe, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Twitter. I see that you're just treating everything the same. Would be a would be a a real shame if we started regulating you like crazy, wouldn't it? And it ends up being a blackmail game to get them to not be neutral, but to instead favor themselves and try to destroy their enemies. I, you're seeing it happen before your eyes. I don't know that there's any solution, but anyway, that's the thing I saw. When I saw the GoFundMe story, I noticed a new tactic that is quite insidious. All right, back to the trucker story. So those are the facts of the case. The As I'm talking to you, as I'm recording, there is no end in sight. Uh, I mean, con- consider what the government might try to do. You try to get tow trucks, I guess, in to start taking trucks out, but there's only more trucks coming in, they're in a conundrum on actually how to solve the thing. As far as I can tell, and if I'm wrong on this, by the way, I need someone to correct me. If some of you got video or some uh, some story, I do want it. I, I want to hear that story. As far as I can tell, these truckers have been largely peaceful. They've not caused property destruction on their way to Ottawa or while in Ottawa. It's important to note, especially for those of you who are very supportive of this movement, as is, as is with lots of large groups of people, there are very bad people in this group. The, the media tend to focus on them, try to make them look like they're the, the larger group. They're not. These groups are the minority, but there are some white supremacy groups. There are Alex Jones insane conspiracy theory people. There are some. They talk about revolution, violence, trying to take over the government. The vast majority seem to not be that, but it should be acknowledged that in this group there are some absolute crazies, and I think it's important to say evil people involved as well. Now, I say all that to give you the facts to say, I, I find myself, as I often do, living in a third option for my opinion. It seems to be those on the right are just super celebratory. And those on the left hate this movement. And it's really incredible to watch because a minute ago I even talked about Occupy Wall Street. It is the left that would say that the workers of the world should unite against, they would say, their their employers instead of the government. But you actually have now a popular uprising of middle-income workers protesting and occupying for their bargaining power. You would think this is something that the left would love. I also learned from the left 
that in 2020, protest is very important. And if it's destructive, who cares? If it's disruptive, who cares? If you recall, there was that one time even in Greenville where one particular rally blocked 385 for a while. You might remember that one of the tactics of the 2020 demonstrations sometimes wasn't destruction. It actually was often not destruction. There was There's a little bit overplaying of how much destruction was done that summer. It was obviously too much, and everyone who stole anything, looted anything, burned anything should all go to jail, or I should say prison in that case. But sometimes it wasn't destruction, it was disruption. And folks on the American left who are very upset about the trucker thing said disruption was exactly what is needed and it is totally legitimate to try to get your political ends through disrupting other people's lives. And people like me said, no, it's not. I remember the stories of intersections in big cities in Dallas, people just taking over the intersection, just stopping traffic. I could give you lots of other examples. And I think it's important to point out what I just did, there's a lot of hypocrisy on the left right now. Their, their evaluation of protest is based solely on what the people are protesting. If there's a popular uprising for something that the left likes, then this is the most important movement there is. They are right and righteous and good, and you should give them everything they want. But if there's an equal uprising of the people and it's for stuff they don't like, then these people are terrorists or droogs, and they must, they must be put down. Yes, that's an inconsistency and a hypocrisy. Now, to my fellow rightists. It is true, these truckers are not doing anything destructive, it doesn't seem. But they are doing something disruptive. And I wonder why you're okay with it. They are interrupting the daily life of just the normal person in Ottawa who just wants to live. I just want to go get the I just want to get my groceries, guys. I was just hoping to go to work. That's all I really wanted to do today. I'm not against you, I'm not for you. I actually don't want to be involved. Can you just leave me alone? I said the same thing in summer of 2020. There are people in these major cities that just want to live their lives. They're not for you or against you. They just want to live, and you are disrupting their ability to just go about their lives, and that's unright. That's not right. It's unjust. And I want to step up and say that I want to be consistent. In your protesting methods, if you dis- destroy or disrupt, either one, I think you're outside your bounds. I think there's better ways. Now I'm going to watch it from afar. I'm very interested to see what happens here because it's it does seem to me like an intractable problem. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, seems to be just an, a, a, uh, uh, Corey, be, be kind. He does not seem like a decent person sometimes. And I, he, could, he couldn't be a, let me say it this way, this couldn't happen to a nicer guy. There's my sarcastic way to say it. And I don't know a way out for them except to relent on their immoral, totalitarian policy. But we shall watch from afar. I just wanted to give that point on consistency. When we come back, I will give you a correction from last week. One of you wrote in and did correct me. I do stand corrected. I was wrong about something that I want to correct. And then I want to give you uh, some of the latest Bill Maher because he's some light of hope that there might be just regular liberals out there once again. We'll do that and more when you come back for the final segment of the Corey Truex Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts.
uh, the rare and uh, usually begrudging correction that comes from a broadcaster. I have to give you one of those right now. Last week on the Corey Truex Show here on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts, I was trying to convince everyone to stop canceling things generally. Don't censor things. So on one side, don't censor Joe Rogan, but also for that Tennessee school board that had censored a book called Mouse, that was an allegory of the Holocaust, don't censor that either. And I erroneously said that this school board in Tennessee was banning the book. That is not what they did. They took it out of an eighth grade curriculum and just didn't add it anywhere else. So apparently it's still available in their libraries, but it's not directly taught in a class. I think if they I think they would have done better if they would have voted to take it out of an eighth grade curriculum and then immediately vote to include it in the literature of 11th grade curriculum. You know, basically saying, eighth graders, you're not ready for the curse words and the one image of a nude woman, but 11th graders, maybe you guys are ready for it. So I thank you. I believe that was Shelly who wrote in to correct me. And she did it kindly, by the way. Isn't that cool? When Christians, because this was a believer, I, that I don't know, but she said she was, uh, and she just wrote in to say, hey, I, I think you missed a, uh, missed a missed a detail here, and she was very kind about it, so thank you for that. Uh, it was Shelly or Sherry, and I'm sorry that I forgot your name. I can't find the email anymore. So there's my correction. I do stand corrected. Now, I think we're, here's where I want to go. I am enjoying, most of the time, Bill Maher's show. He is a longtime left-winger. Here's a little Corey story. I got into this stuff pretty early, if you recall. I was 9-11 was really when I hardcore got into civics. Let's call it civics instead of politics. But I remember as a kid, as a I, oh, this is going to be giving away my nerdiness. You know how kids stay up too late, in the, especially in the summer? I remember the, the news would come on at 11, and then at I would watch the local news, WIFF usually, and then at 11.35, Jay Leno was coming on, opening monologue, and I was a big Jay Leno fan. But after the opening monologue, you would find me switching over to ABC to watch Politically Incorrect. I went over and wa- watched adults talk about what was going on in the world, or generally ideas, and Bill Maher was a host. There was always two guests on either side of a given issue, and they would just talk about stuff for 30 minutes. And I remember being confused a lot, not really knowing what they were talking about, but it honed my skills of listening to arguments, seeing which ones stood up to to scrutiny, and maybe even figuring out what I believe about a lot of things. And Bill Maher is way left of center of me, but I pick up from him that he and I have a, a lot of core values. Those core values for us are the, usually the things in the Bill of Rights that you do get to believe what you want to believe, and no one can compel your conscience. You get to say what you want to say about what you believe. You get to do that. If you want to gather together with the people who believe what you say, I'm going through the First Amendment right now, by the way. If you want to gather together, you can do that. Absolutely. Hey, if you can get a microphone or get a newspaper or get a, a way to highly publicize your opinion, you should do that. Absolutely. This is a core value that we have. And the, the modern American left is saying to me and to like a Bill Maher, don't say the things you believe if they hurt someone's feelings. And if you do, we will try to censor you and shut you up. We are done. 
with free speech. They will say, no, you don't get to gather together. Not you people. If you think these individual things, uh uh-uh. Oh, you want to gather together with your faith community? We're going to make that even harder, especially we're going to use the pandemic as a pretense. There's a group of people who don't believe in those fundamental things. And so while Bill Maher and I would get into a room and disagree on just about everything, we would still leave with those fundamental things where we say, we definitely think there should be like a balance of power, right? That the president should be able to do everything. Yeah, we believe that. And citizens should be protected from destruction from one another. Yeah, I believe that. And just because there's a emergency doesn't mean the government can do whatever it wants. Yeah, we believe that. And so there's a, a longtime connection I've had to him. I actually remember when he was thrown off ABC. I, I was young, 13 or 14, but I remember opposing it because I was, a, I was such a free speech guy. He made a pretty bad joke about 9-11, admittedly. Offensive joke. But here I stand in, in 2000. 22, just like I said in 2001, and says, and I say, stop canceling people for bad jokes. If you don't like their jokes, don't laugh and turn it off. And if a if few enough people like their jokes, they'll be off the air anyway. That's the power of the market. No one wants to watch their stupid jokes, and they end up going away. Ask Samantha B about that. So, I understand that Bill Maher is a pot-smoking, atheist, left-winger, I also know that it's good to know that there's a voice out there, one of the most prominent voices in the commentariat, who comes at things with some common sense. And so I'm going to play for you a little bit of Bill Maher's show, the one that was uh, the most, I don't think, that was February 4th maybe, the February 4th episode of Bill Maher. Here he is. People ask me, why are you so skeptical of what the medical establishment tells us? I say, because I've seen them react to a virus before. By 1987... CDC officials pretty much knew how HIV was spreading and who was in danger. Now, of course, there's no moral dimension to this, despite what Pat Robertson used to say. I'm, I'm going to skip this part because then he gets into the idea that uh, he, he, he gets into secular se- sexuality, and he's totally wrong about that part. But he gets asked by other left-wingers, why don't you just believe what the medical establishment says or the idea of the science? There's no such thing as the science. There's no establishment that is the science. Science is a process of discovery. And he makes a good point here about AIDS that he goes on to make. There was a massive scare. Uh, he actually quotes Oprah from the time where she she put on some study that said it could be, uh, I think it was 20% of people could have AIDS by 1990. And it was a devastating virus at the time. But what we actually knew was it affects a very specific segment of the population it did affect homosexual people the most, and it's by far. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry for saying a true thing. And so, th- they had a bad or a poorly calibrated v- virus response before. And so, Bill Maher's just saying, "I looked in the past. You didn't handle that. You created a, a really terrifying situation there. And so now, with the new virus, you've not earned my trust. So yeah, I've got some skepticism of you. I'm going to skip ahead here to where he says what we should have had was more precision." When responding to the virus, we fi- we figured out fairly early who it affects. It affects more severely the obese, affects more severely the elderly, and we should have been more precise with our response. Uh, and that's where he is when I restart here, here Bill Maher from Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO. But at some point... 
But at some point, that has to stop being my responsibility. Doesn't it make more sense to focus on helping the vulnerable stay safe and let the rest of us go back to living normal lives? What's somewhat mind-blowing is this is being recorded in California, and he's getting lots of applause on this. This is stuff that I was saying two years ago. And yes, that's what makes the most sense. Beginning with recognizing that what we're doing to kids is unnecessary and horrible, and I don't even like kids. <laughs> but making kids who have a COVID survivability rate of 99.98% mask up like bandits, unfortunately, the thing that's getting stolen is their education, their sanity, and their social skills. A study this week from a professor at Johns Hopkins concluded that the lockdowns we all suffered through had little impact in reducing COVID deaths. Can you believe he's able to say that? I mean, that's conspiracy theory. 18 months ago? To say locking everyone down isn't helping. There isn't a benefit to public health. And now we just get to say it. This is another reason why that his opening, his opening salvo was, hey, Bill, why are you so skeptical of the medical establishment? Well, it's because you've gotten a lot wrong. You've said many wrong things, including telling us that if you lock everyone away, we're going to mitigate the effect of the virus, and you were wrong about it. Okay, that's kind of a big one to get wrong. <laughs> Last July, President Biden said, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Well... I already knew that was wrong then, and now we all do. The former director of the CDC, Robert Redfield, believes COVID originated in a lab, and now our intelligence agencies agree it might have. But for months on social media, it was banned to even discuss it. This is, again, part of that, the left using their power not to just destroy, but then to use tools to get people to shut up when they want to shut up. I'm getting close to out of time, and so I want to speed up here a little bit towards the end of the show where he had a really good diatribe. Uh, here's more of Bill Maher. And there's never been any research showing that outdoor transmission is likely or common, yet L.A. County says we're still supposed to mask up for big outdoor events, like we'll be at the Super Bowl. Well... <laughs> supposed to. It's all theater. Watching... It's, he just put up on the screen the Los, uh, the Los Angeles DA and the governor of California, two of the big masking proponents, maskless at the Rams game last week. But there was actually some really good articles here recently from folks on the left saying of Democrats and leftists, stop taking these pictures. You're telling us we have to always have masks on all the time and then you take a bunch of pictures without it. You are... You're undercutting yourself and you're making a lot of people mad doing it. And that's something that they're actually realizing. Here is that diatribe. Athletes mix it up on the court and then mask on the sideline, not being able to touch a menu, but watching them touch my food. <laughs> Maskless at dinner while sitting but not standing. And by the way, if Applebee's really cared about our health, they would make us cover our mouths after the food arrived. <laughs> I'm just asking, how much wrong do you get to be while still holding the default setting for people who represent the science? Eat eggs, then don't, then do. Take aspirin, then don't, then do. The food pyramid, 
Really? Bread and milk every day? Okay, you do you. You see what he's doing here? A very good job of? To, to the, those who just say, trust the institutional science. Hey, you guys change your minds a lot, though. You ever, have you noticed that about yourself? That you tell, you tell us all to do this one thing, this is the thing to do, and don't, uh, don't ever ask any questions about it. And then you change your mind five years later and say, yeah, actually, you no, know, eggs and cholesterol is not that bad for you. You're, the, the, the food pyramid is actually not a, great, not a great way to eat. He actually put it up on the screen, and it blows my mind that the scientific establishment was saying, you need six to 11 servings a day of bread, cereal, rice, and pasta. <laughs> I mean, the opposite of what a lot of fitness diets are now. The, the thing you should eat the most of, more than vegetables, more than fruit, you need to eat more rice and cereal and bread and pasta. This, so your, your scientific establishment 20 years ago was saying, you know, get up and have some toast, some Captain Crunch. When you get to lunch, you know, how about a little chicken and rice? You can even do that. When you get home, how about some spaghetti? And we, we wonder even how he got to be the most obese place in human history. The whole point here being, we can have some healthy skepticism. I think we probably are too high level of skepticism of, of expertise. There is a role for expertise. People work very hard to learn a lot of things, and just because they are from the government or an agency doesn't mean we should discount what they think or say. We, so I do think we've probably gone too far. At the same time, there's a there is a chunk of folks who need to be shaken to awake that says, hey, we're, we have ground to stand on here that the folks who are the smartest people in the room often get things wrong. We're not, we're not sorry for, for saying so. And because they often get things wrong, this very draconian thing, this very authoritarian thing they're trying to get me to do, I'm a little skeptical of it. I'm going to need a little bit more evidence before I just hand over all of my liberty and freedom to you. Court Structure listeners. Thank you. Thank you for being here every week. If you would be so kind to share the show this week, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't care if you email forward it to somebody, but it would be very great. I would be very grateful. I will be back with another new edition of the Corey Act show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.